0: This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit com slash donate. Thank you for listening. I recently visited one of my nieces back home in Annapolis. My family's from Annapolis. She has a wonderful husband and she has two really adorable kids. One is Adam, he's five years old. And then there's Thomas, he's seven years old. And whenever I go to visit her, I have the most spectacular time with the kids. But during this one visit, Thomas, the seven year old, he was pretty pretty rambunctious. For some reason, he kept throwing his crayons across the room. Every five minutes, he was throwing his crayons. Again and again, his mother would warn him not to throw the crayons. Again and again, she warned him, but he'd throw them anyway. Well, after a number of failed warnings, she finally had to go and get the big guns. Thomas's dad. Thomas's dad comes out. He says, Thomas, if you continue to throw the crayons, you're going to have to go to timeout. Well, you may have guessed it. Little Thomas just hurled that crayon across the room again, again, and again. Well, his mother finally came over to him. And his mother said, Thomas, because you disobeyed, you're going to have to go to timeout. And you need to stay there until I tell you to come out. So, despite all the warnings of his mother, and despite the warnings from even his dad, Thomas didn't listen. And sadly, little Thomas ended up in timeout, separated from the people and all the things that he loved. Now, after several minutes, Thomas was permitted to come out of timeout. He was reconnected with his parents, he was reconnected with his brother. And all the things he loved, including his crayons. Well, our text today, it surrounds the tumultuous relationship between God and his people. You see, under the leadership of several evil kings, God's people, they were led astray. God repeatedly warned the Israelites to stop worshiping idols, and he continuously invited them to return back to him. But they continue to ignore God's warnings. They mocked God's messengers. They despised his words. They even scoffed at his prophets. They simply refused to heed God's warnings. Mm-hmm. Well, ultimately, because of their repeated refusal to obey and to return to God, God delivers them into the hands of the Babylonians. Saints, this is time out to the 10th degree for the Israelites. God didn't just sit them in a corner for a couple of minutes. No. He sat them in a foreign country in captivity as slaves for seven decades. Mm -hmm. Seventy years a slave. Now that's time out. uh, Over and over, God specifically told them to turn away from the idols. But the people of Israel, they did their own thing. They just simply refused to obey. They just didn't listen to God's warnings. And spoiler alert, saints, guess what? Neither do we. We act the same way towards God. God convicts us about an area in our lives, and we don't listen. We continue to worship our own modern idols, and we ignore God's warnings to give them up and to come back. For well, saints like the Israelites, there are consequences to our sin. Come on, preacher. Now, the good news today is that sin doesn't have to be the last chapter in our story. Well, it doesn't have to define our story. What does define our story is that when we are unfaithful, God is still faithful. Well, Even in our rebellious moments, we have a father who's faithful to restore us. God's final word isn't destruction, but it's restoration, saints. God's final word isn't destruction, but it's restoration. And even in this, in the end, the Israelites were not left in time out. They were ultimately released from exile, freed from the rule of the Babylonians, and God restored them just as he promised. Saints, God is a God of restoration. God is a faithful God to restore. So let us all take a deeper look at these two truths. If you still have your Bibles out, all of us all looking at the word together, follow along with me as I read verses 17 through 20. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hands. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and his princes, and all these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem, and burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword. And they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia." Wow. That's some destruction. What destruction? What could have brought Israel to such a place? Mm. It was certainly more than just throwing a few crayons, saints. Now, our text begins with the word of Scripture that I love, the word therefore. Mm. Whenever you see that word therefore in Scripture, it's our prompt to see what comes before the text. So let's take a little moment and wrap some history some historical context around these verses. You see, God had been warning Israel about their sin and idolatry for quite some time now. This was long before the separation of Israel into north and south. It was long before evil kings did evil in the sight of God. You see, it was back in Moses' day. The Israelites entered into a covenant relationship with God. They agreed to be obedient to God. They agreed to be loyal to one another. And so, God would bless them and make them his treasured possession. Yeah. If they rebelled and they didn't keep the covenant, they would face judgment. While it was only days after the deliverance from Egypt, the people began to sin right away. They were complaining against God and even worse, worshiping idols. We all remember that golden calf. Well. They continued turning away from God sinning against him, turning aside to all kinds of false gods, idolatry, and immorality. Generation after generation failed to keep God's word. They were just simply doing it their way. And then later on in this rebellion, if it couldn't get any worse, they asked for their own king. They said, God, we want another king. They wanted to be like all the other nations, as though God wasn't good enough for them. Total rejection of the God who freed them. Total rejection of the God who delivered them. I guess they were kind of putting God in time out. God wasn't doing it their way, so they were like, God, take some time out. We'll take another king about now. God warns them to take another king over them. He would only want to enslave them and to take everything that they are. Saints, how often do we sit God on the sideline? Well, well. How often do we say, God, I got this one? Right. When it's not looking the way it should be or it's not going our way, we take the reins, we take control. Okay, God, I'll take it from here. Or like the Israelites. We simply appoint another king over us. Personally, addiction was my king. Addiction was king over my life for quite a few years. Most of you know my story. I know the men do. For 23 years, addiction ruled over me. As a matter of fact, it had come to the point where I truly believed deep in my soul that king addiction was my destiny. And just as God warned the Israelites, addiction enslaved me and took everything that I was. Now, addiction may not be the king over your life, but who or what have you appointed king? Now, if you're unsure of who or what that might be, ask yourself, What demands the majority of your time? Your money, your energy. What do you treasure over all else? Scripture tells us, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So who or what is king over your life? The desire for wealth, your reputation, status, Position, is wealth your king? You know, that, that king wealth, he's a popular king. Right. <laughs> what is king wealth requiring of you these days? Well, to work extra long hours to have more money? Yeah, no, no. To make work a priority and neglect time with your family? Mm-hmm. To evaluate your, your relationships based upon whether they'll cost you something? You see, king Worth he never wants you to simply be a blessing to someone. He requires that you make every decision only through the lens of financial advancement, not through any type of moral standard. King wealth. Or perhaps king reputation is king. What is king reputation requiring of you? That you give self-indulgence the place of lordship and worship in your life? to think higher of yourself than you ought to, to spend a lot of time and energy on your social media presence, tracking your lights, posting your achievements, keeping up with the status quo. King reputation requires that you make it all about you. Saints and earthly king will only enslave you, and he will take everything that you are. Israel's kings didn't have Israel's best interest in mind. They only wanted to enslave them. But nonetheless, God honors their request. And the Israelites experienced a number of bad and evil kings, kings that led to idolatry, kings that led them to sin against God, kings that enslaved them. My Lord. And after years and years of running after false gods and disobeying God's voice, God allows Israel to be conquered, and sadly, they're carried off into captivity. That text, that's their destruction. That's Israel in time out, saints. But as I said before, there's good news. That's not the end of this story. God's last word is not destruction, but restoration. Mm -hmm. You see, destruction isn't the end. God's promises of restoration are. Let's go just a little bit deeper, follow along with me. Let's look deeper to see the amazing depth of God's heart for restoration. Read along with me as I read, follow along with me as I read verses 21 and 22. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate It kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Now, consistent with all the disobedience that Israel was privy to, they also failed to keep God's command to observe a Sabbath rest for the land. They failed to care for the land as God commanded them. God commanded Israel to observe a Sabbath for the land, allowing it to rest every seven years. Resting the land means no pruning, no planting, no tilling, no working the land every seventh year. Resting the land. I read that even today, resting the land is still a practice among farmers and agriculturists. You see, by allowing the land to rest, the soil is restored. The soil is revived. The soil is mended. The Israelites never allowed the land to rest. They were just simply destroying the land by their disobedience and their failure to observe God's command. In fact, saints, they denied the land its Sabbath for over 490 years. That's 70 Sabbath years missed. In essence, the Israelites owed the land 70 Sabbath years. They were destroying what God had given them. But again, destruction is not God's last word, but restoration is. You see, to give the land its rest, to restore the land, God takes the land back, sending the Israelites into exile into Babylon for 70 years. You see, this is time out for the Israelites. But the land rested for 70 years while the Israelites were in captivity. Verse 21 says, All the days the land lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Can somebody say, the land has to rest? The land has to rest. Look at your other neighbor. The soil has to rest. The soil has to rest. You know, I share that mantra with the pivot men. The land has to rest. Sometimes God will draw you out so the land can rest. And even now, while you're here in Pivot, God is restoring the soil to your relationships. He's restoring the soil to your purpose. He's restoring the soil to your destiny, to your marriage, to your household. All things are working together for the good. Yes, sir. Sometimes the land has to rest, brothers. So if our God is so faithful To restore the land, how much more faithful would he be to restore his people? Go along with me. Let's go look deeper. Let's look at verses 22 to 23. You can follow along. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah must be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also putting it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. Did you get that? The Lord stirs the spirit of King Cyrus. King Cyrus makes a proclamation through all the kingdom. King Cyrus says, the Lord, the God of heaven, has charged me to build him a house. And whoever's among God's people, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. Here King Cyrus releases the Israelites. He sends them back to their promised land, back to build their temple. And moreover, King Cyrus proclaims the Lord, the God of heaven, charged him to do this. Now, saints, the irony in this, Cyrus was a pagan king. Cyrus was not a follower of the God of the Bible. Cyrus knew nothing of the God of heaven. But the God of heaven knew all about Cyrus. God knew Cyrus before he was even born. God had a purpose for Cyrus before he was even conceived, saints. God's plan for restoration was already in motion. You see, 150 years, even before Cyrus was born, the Lord prophesied that Cyrus would be the one to release his people from captivity. We read this in Isaiah, Chapter 45, verse 13 reads, I will raise up Cyrus to fulfill my to fulfill my righteous purpose. He prophesies, I will guide his actions, he will restore my city and free my captives. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. Saints, this is 150 years before Cyrus was even born. Wow. The Lord said that Cyrus will build his city and set the exiles free. It was God's will all along to deliver the Israelites, to rescue them from Babylon, and to simply restore them. Again, God's last words are not destruction, but restoration. It's only God who can take a pagan king and bless his people. Cyrus was God's selected tool for their freedom. But even in this, Cyrus' efforts only point to a much better king, a king that would restore all of mankind. That much better king, saints, is Jesus. Yes, God sent us Jesus, not to enslave us, but to deliver us, to rescue us. We heard earlier from Pastor, he died so that our sins would be forgiven yes, sir. and that we would be free from the grips and the penalty of sin. King Jesus is our deliverer. King Jesus is our rescuer. He's the much better king. Jesus would do a work of restoration that would not just simply free Jerusalem, but all of creation. You're an example of that restoration. I'm an example of that restoration. The men of Pivot are an example of that restoration. Restoration. I'm real fortunate to get to see that restoration power operate every single day and pivot. And I know sometimes they feel at pivot that they're in a never-ending timeout. That thing is never going to end. Far away from all you love, far away from all the things you know. But I remind you brothers, oh, but there's a king there's a king and his name is Jesus and he's faithful to restore you, he's faithful to rescue you he is the God of restoration yes, sir. and even for many of us here in Pastor Hugh's prayer he spoke of the challenges we may feel what the world presses against us sometimes we may feel like we're in exile one big time out the sadness, the hopelessness, the uncertainty, the despair. But saints remember, remember King Jesus. He promises to renew, he promises to restore. I'm right now reminded of Pivot's foundational scripture. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17. It speaks to restoration, it speaks to renewal. The men know it quite well. Brothers, would you say it with me? Therefore, if any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation, the old has passed, behold, the new has come, amen.